Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat, for we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing what is right. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this word. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts in the ninth chapter. Um, last, we're, we've been jumping around in the book of Acts. We're jumping back in time here to a story about Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, as he's moving about uh, doing what apostles do. Let's continue to listen for the word of God. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there in Lydda, they sent two men to him with the request, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This, too, is God's word for us here today. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray together. Speak, Lord, for your people are listening. Our hearts hunger to hear your word this day, that we may be fed, that we may be changed, that we may be made new. Bless now the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here today so that they may be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 
So this morning we are continuing in the spirit of the Easter season, in the celebration that Christ is risen, that the tomb is empty, and that new life comes forth. Of course, this Sunday is also Mother's Day, and while we should not allow the Hallmark Company to set the liturgical calendar, it is worth noting there are some similarities between Mother's Day and Easter Sunday. Both days are celebrations of the gift of life, the gift that a mother gives her child, the gift of a life of motherhood that a child gives to her. It's also a day that's celebrated with flowers and dedications in the bulletin. And of course, Easter Sunday and Mother's Day are the only days of the year specifically to be celebrated with brunch. Mom gave you life. The least you could do is give her eggs benedict. (laughs) Like children giving gifts to the one who gave them life, the Easter season is a season of reversals. The tomb on Friday is full of death, but on Sunday it is empty, and it's Jesus who is full of life. In this Easter season, we are reminded that God is not just a heavenly father to us, but the heavenly mother whose creation is laboring to bring forth life abundant any moment. I recently learned that the French term for pregnancy is le grossesse, which literally translates to the bigness. (laughs) To be a mother is to be larger than life in that sense, both physically for a time, but spiritually always, because a mother's life encompasses that of their children, whether those children are born or adopted or loved from afar. And it is this same bigness that we see in God, the fullness of life and love that compels us and compels our attention this morning. For in the miracle story we heard, the raising of Tabitha from the dead, we see that abundance of life, bigger than death, bursting forth. But the fullness of God is actually evident in the scripture even before the miraculous raising from the dead. It's present both in the form and the figures of this passage. The book of Acts, like most of the Bible really, is known for a kind of spare and concise style of storytelling. Just prior to the story that I read, there's a story about Peter healing a man who's been paralyzed for eight years. That story takes up just two verses and is told in a total of 33 Greek words. Very sparse, very spare. By comparison, Tabitha's story is a Victorian novel. There is so much detail that we are given here, and all of that detail matters. We learn not only Tabitha's Aramaic name, but we also hear its Greek equivalent, Dorcas. We're told that Tabitha is a disciple, and this is actually the only time a woman is described as a disciple in the New Testament. Which is strange given, you know, Mary and Martha and the other Mary and Salome and Jesus' mother. All these women have been following Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, and yet none of them are ever called a disciple in the text. None of them, that is, until we get to Tabitha. More than that, though, we are then told that Tabitha is not only a disciple of Christ, she is devoted to good works and acts of charity. But this less-than-literal translation actually doesn't serve us well. Literally, what the text says is, Tabitha is 
full of good works. Now, this too is rather unusual in the context of the New Testament. More often than not, a follower of Jesus, even Jesus himself, was not described as full of good works. They're described as being full of the Holy Spirit. Now, these two fullnesses are obviously related, but let's, let's consider for a moment the differences between these two. What does it mean to be full of good works? Perhaps what comes to mind is that constant doer of good deeds. You know that person who is always showing up in a moment of crisis, or maybe not a moment of crisis, with some gift or some food or some needed help? This is the kind of person that has a kind of attitude or disposition of kindliness and generosity. It calls to mind the descriptions of Christian love in Paul's letter to Corinthians. It's patient and kind, humble, generous, and constant. A person who's full of good works then seems to have this kind of loving personality, a predisposition to knowing when others are in deep need, but also knowing what gives people life and celebrating that with them. But in Tabitha's case, her good works are not just about an attitude. They're not just a feeling. They're actually held in the hands of the people who mourn her death. The Greek term works, erga, when it's associated with women, can have a more specific meaning, women's work. In Greek, that tended to refer to the work of weaving or knitting. And of course, we heard that as the mourners were gathering around, they held in their arms the tunics and the other clothing that Tabitha had made for them. Though she had grown sick and died, Tabitha's good works were still tangible to those whom she made them for. And of course, we all accumulate a lot of stuff over the course of our lives, but it is these good works, these things that are made with love, that we end up treasuring the most. Tabitha's good works clothed widows who lived in poverty because they had no children or husbands to take care of them. Bereft of that, they were supported by their church, the wider community there, a reminder to us that from the beginning, the church has always been a place that welcomes those whom the world does not love. And Tabitha did that. She didn't just say she was welcoming. She didn't just offer a kind face and a kind word. She offered these widows something tangible, something they needed, something that they could put on and walk around in that would keep them warm on cold nights and comfort them in their times of grief. But of course, despite all those good works, Tabitha was still only human, and so she got sick and she died. But because she was a faithful disciple, because the people who had gathered around her had been touched by her faith, they all had hope, perhaps a foolish hope, that perhaps was not death, this death was not the end for Tabitha. And you can tell this because rather than wash her body and wrap it and place it in a tomb, as one would expect, they placed her body in an upper room. And no doubt these folks had heard the stories about what happens in upper rooms. It was in an upper room where Jesus had gone to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. 
It was in an upper room where the risen Christ had come and stood among the disciples. That is where the risen Christ comes to meet us, is in the upper room. And so the friends and fellow church members there in Joppa, they had heard these stories. And so they took Tabitha up. They lifted her up and placed her in the upper room. And they hoped that the power of Christ would come for her. And it wasn't just that they hoped this in some kind of attitude or dispositional way. They also acted upon that hope. They sent a message to Peter. They told him to come quickly. After all, he was an apostle. He was full of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was in Christ. Surely he could come and give this great lady new life. And so Peter breezes into town, and he finds this group of people He finds this church in mourning. They're weeping for this pillar of their community who is no more. And he listens to them talk about Tabitha's good works and her charitable acts. He he holds the tunics. He admires her handiwork. He provides a comforting and pastoral presence. But they didn't call him there just to be comforting. They called him there because they wanted a miracle something they could have no certainty about whether or not it could happen. But they told Peter, they asked him to take the lead, to step out on their behalf and on Tabitha's behalf. As Thomas Merton once put it, to hope is to risk frustration. That's what these folks were doing. They were risking frustration. But Merton says, therefore make up your mind to risk frustration. And so that's what Peter did. He went into that room, the outcome never assured, but he knelt down and he prayed. It's risky business praying. Sometimes God's answers to our prayers is no. Sometimes God's answers to our prayers is yes, but not quite like you think. A prayer is ultimately nothing more than a hope we put into words that we lift up to God. To pray is to risk that frustration. But the power of prayer is not primarily about the outcome or the results of a prayer. Prayer is about preparing us, opening us, aligning us with the fullness of God, with God's grace and God's love, so that whatever comes, whatever results, whatever happens, we know, we trust that it is the Lord's doing. To pray is to hope, and to hope is to see the fullness of God. Psalm 24, which, which is a prayer, it begins with the words, The earth is the Lord's, and all that is in it, the land and the fullness thereof. Tabitha was full of good works. But it gives us a moment to reflect and to think, what is our life full of? What are our lives full of? What is my life full of? My life tends to be pretty full. (laughs) Full of lots of things, people to see, places to go, things to do. It's full of busyness. It's full of work, doctor's appointments, to-dos. Maybe you all can identify with this. 
Sometimes life feels like it's full of worry and anxiousness. When we widen the lens and we sort of think about our national collective life, what is that full of right now? Uncertainty, fear, violence. The world certainly contains all of these things. And they tend to take up a lot of space rent-free in our minds. Probably too much space. But here's the secret. These things will never be enough to completely fill up our lives. And that's both welcome and frustrating news. Because it means that every one of our failures and our fears coming to fruition, but also every one of our successes and our goals achieved, none of that is going to add up to the fullness of God. Every trip we take, every deal we make, Every memory that we save in a phone, every new thing or gadget we collect, every moment we hope will last forever. All of these things will add up and add up and add up, and it won't be enough to exhaust the space of possibility that is here in God's creation. In fact, the people who tend to claim they have it all, who have the most in the world, who claim that they win so much they get tired of winning, these are the people, it turns out, who are often the most full of it. And we all know what it is. It's not good works. Friends, living abundantly is about cultivating a disposition of love towards hope. And hope points us to the fullness of God. It begins with this attitude of gratitude that we have because we hear the assurances of God. That before we even asked for life and life abundant, God offered it to us. It's why I'm sure that whatever else Peter said to God that day in that upper room, I know for certain that he said two important words. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this good woman, Tabitha. Thank you, God, for this good church who loved her so well. Thank you that you have given me the chance to pour out your spirit of life into this world. Prayer is a space where we can cultivate this attitude of gratitude, this persona of Christian love. But prayer ultimately is only the beginning. It only gets you so far. You may be full of prayer and kindness and grace. You may be full of the Spirit. But you'll only be full of it if you're not also full of good works. And I know what you're thinking because I think it all the time, too. My life is so full of so much. Where am I supposed to fit in all these good works? But first, first let's examine our days. Let's think about what fills our days, what fills up our lives, and asks, is this really filling me up? Or are all these things, all this stuff, just packing peanuts? Useless, airy bits of nothing that take up space in our lives just to keep us comfortable while we're on our way from the cradle to the grave. One cannot risk frustration if their only concern is comfort. Once we see, perhaps, that there are some things we can let go of, some empty things in our life, we can ask, what am I doing right now that I could do better? that would be more fulfilling. And by that, I don't mean improving on some skills or some talents. I mean 
doing better in the moral and spiritual sense, taking the things that we already do on a daily basis and infusing them with the spirit of Christ so that they may be our good works. Because when we do that, when we bring our faith and our hope and our love to the things we do on a daily basis, a life full of work and obligation and commitments can suddenly become a life full of good works. A spiritually full life and a life of good works, these are the same thing. When Peter took Tabitha by the hand, when she reached out and and took his hand in return, they showed us what fullness of life looks like. It looks like one person full of the Spirit and another full of good works, joining hands and sharing a common cause together. And it was so compelling, so compelling to everyone who came in and saw it, that they then went out and told everybody so that everyone in the city knew what had happened. And many believed in the Lord, it says, because of this. Full of the Spirit, full of good works, that is the fullness of life. And that is God's word for us here today. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media, at Church by the Park. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.